Thank you so much for joining us for the Modcast. It's the podcast from the Modern Theater. My name is Abby Crawford. I have two guests in studio today from the current running show at the Modern Spokane. But before we get to them, current running shows in the area. Right now at Spokane Civic Theater, catch me if you can. You can get tickets at SpokaneCivicTheater.com. It runs through October 18. Running at the Modern Coeur d'Alene, Rock of Ages. You have one weekend left to get your face melted off. You can get tickets at themoderntheater.org. Also running downtown Spokane at the Modern Theater Spokane. Other Desert Cities runs through this weekend as well. Our guests on the Modcast today, visiting us from the cast of Other Desert Cities, which is showing at the Spokane Modern, downtown Spokane right now, I have with me today Sarah Miller and Billy Holquist. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Ooh, you're quiet. Are you awake? <laughs> it's kind of early in the morning, but that's okay. That's okay. So, um, Other Desert City. So, Other Desert Cities runs through the rest of this weekend. It's been a three-week run? Correct. And are you exhausted? <laughs> this morning, yes, but <laughs> by this Thursday, I'll be fine. Yeah, I, it's so nice to have a break. You just have to run it all the way through, hit every show, sleep, take your vitamins, <laughs> sleep again, sleep. drink a lot of water. No, but after a weekend like that, it's it's pretty exhausting. It'll be exciting to take a break and come back Thursday. And the two of you play siblings on stage, correct? Yes, we do. <laughs> do you have a very sibling? <laughs> Is it sort of a, a nice sibling relationship off stage too? I mean, you know how you get uh, really used to the people you're on stage with? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of guessing it's sort of sibling-ish from what I'm seeing. Yes, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> yeah no we, we have a lot of fun there's a lot of banter goes on backstage it's just and it's how we get into character you know we just we have our own little jibs and jabs that we throw at each other now i've heard that uh the show is glorious i haven't had a chance to see it yet hopefully this next week because i don't want to miss it but what I'm hearing from reviews and from people who have seen it is that it's very emotional, very intense, and really, really good. So standing from that point, I'm going to ask you some questions about the show in just a moment. But first, I want to get to what you were doing before the show. Because you had a three-week rehearsal period or two? Three and a half weeks. Three, three and a half weeks, and then you have a three-week three run. Mm -hmm. So before the show, um, now I had Sarah in a show that I directed. You were this fantastically German <laughs> airline stewardess who touched and crawled over every single piece of furniture. Yes. Yes, so, I was. <laughs> so from that point of view of that character, how how is she different from the character you play now? And your character's name is? Uh, my character's name is Brooke in the show. And, from and how Gretchen, does Brooke? They are worlds apart. They're, <laughs> they're not even in the same genre. They're <laughs> they, they live so on. So she doesn't crawl over the couch? No, no. Gretchen does not make an appearance. Um, <laughs> but no, they are. It, it, it's really a different uh, headspace and heart space entirely to go from a farce kind of production, which has its own rhythm that it follows. It has its own way of moving and way of interacting in front of an audience versus um, this dramatic piece, which is not just drama, but very real life drama right. to be uh, everything that is the opposite of Gretchen, not forced, very casual, very you know, just comfortable in your own skin, um, not aware that anyone is looking kind of um, 
very normal behavior. <laughs> but still same kind of intensity, right? Yes, there is a great emotional intensity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. So for Billy, your character, your last character you played for months and months and months in Orphans for Spokane Civic Theater, mm -hmm. his name was Treat, and Correct. now you're playing Trip. Treat to Trip, yes. <laughs> how do they differ? Um, Treat was a troubled, mean person that was just very dark. Um, Trip is a nice troubled person who's not very dark it's it's really the, the one of the things that i love about the character of trip is that there's not a dark place you really have to go to to present this character he's kind of the comedic relief for not well i won't want to say comedic relief but he's for the audience maybe but for the family who's on stage he's the, he's who everyone goes to, to you know to uh what do you think you know kind of the voice of reason and wow. and I don't have to hit anybody. Oh, nice. Which is really nice for me. <laughs> That's always good. How long how long were you doing Orphans? How many months was that? From, From start, start of rehearsal finish? was about 7 months. So you had to hit somebody for 7 months. Poor little Maxim <laughs> Chumoff. Yeah, that was tough, but Yeah. But so trip is do you guys ever trip over his name? <laughs> yes. <laughs> trip and treat. Trip and treat. Just, just in rehearsal. rehearsal. We decided we needed a, you know, kind of like a swear jar. Like a 50 bucks goes in the jar <laughs> if you say treat on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so the other characters in the in other desert cities, you have Marianne McLaughlin mm -hmm. and Wes Dietrich and Diana Trotter. And you're all family members, correct? Correct. Okay, can you give me a quick synopsis of the show without giving anything away? Sure. So um, the character of Polly and Lyman Wyeth are the parents of the, the family. We're in their home or there for um, Christmas Eve. And that's Wes and Diana. That's correct? Wes and Diana. And um, Polly's sister, played by Marianne McLaughlin, Silda, is there also. Silda's two weeks sober out of rehab. She um, So she has a lot of stuff going on in her headspace. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> the parents themselves, are their aging retirees moved to the desert, um, but they were in the Republican Party very ingrained for many, many years. The, Lyman was um, ambassador of the Republican Party under the Reagan administration, so very high-profile family. Uh, the two sisters were writers at MGM back in the 60s, and uh, then one of, you know, Polly met Lyman and then entered this life political career. And we are their offspring, so <laughs> uh, wow. I'm the middle child. We had an older sibling, uh, Henry, who uh, did not follow the Republican path, dissented after the Vietnam War, joined a, um, a cult of some sort, and uh, was implicated in a bombing. Um, oh. It's actually pretty early on in the script where uh, Brooke was really close to him, and she's written a memoir that includes him and his story and his death and the bombing and subsequent suicide where he took his own life, and uh, she never quite got over it. So Trip is her younger brother, who was, gosh, I, I don't know how many years exactly, but five, seven yeah. years between us. You were about five, I yeah. guess, when it happened. So I, I would have been about 12. But um, he had a whole different experience with our parents and um, you know, became a very different person. But we are their offspring, and we have all of those various shades, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's fun. It really is. It's a lot of fun working with um, working with 
Sarah and Wes, Marianne and Diana, for me, um, I consider myself fairly green as far as um, theater and acting goes. And every rehearsal for me is like, or was like a clinic. It was like a, it was like acting class. I just come and just watch. If I wasn't working, I would get to sit and watch these wonderful actors. Well, seriously, those three, yeah, are <laughs> mega <laughs> stars for this stage, especially in Spokane. I mean, you're talking about old school blood here, mm-hmm. and to see all three of them on stage like that, plus the two of you, I cannot imagine the energy that comes off the stage. That's awesome. <laughs> I'd sit just, I'd just love to sit and watch the rehearsal just to see all of you, even you. You're damn good on stage, Billy. Yes, he is. I mean, you may be green, (laughs) but you're damn good on stage. Um, Now, your director, Don Taylor Reinhardt, Mm -hmm. how is it working with her? I love the woman. I'm just going to put that out there. I love the woman, and I love watching her work. How is it for you? How could you not? Yeah, <laughs> really. No. She, um, she, for me, she pushes me. Like, and and not that I've never worked with a director that doesn't. But well, you're on stage with she, another director who did, right? That, for seven months. <laughs> no, she, she, she just she pushes she pushes everybody. But for me in particular, she she asks questions that I I just. I don't know if I would have ever really thought of, and it just she helps me find different layers, and I'm still finding layers with this guy, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. When when I I've had the pleasure to work with Dawn on a number of projects, so it's great to work with her again. And she approaches directing from this. Um, she always talks about the receiver, you know, from the receiver standpoint. This is what I'm getting from you, and um, she obviously has the big picture thing of where we need to move on the stage, the practical aspects, the technical view, but just how she's able to reset every time we rerun a scene or rerun a show as if she's not seen it before and have that receiver's response and be really honest, candid, and yet it's safe and caring. It's constructive feedback. You know, we don't, um, it's a real skill to be able to do that and watch it new and give us honest feedback in that way. Um, but yeah, she, she doesn't go light on any of us. She doesn't let us get away with things that are, you know, our little bad habits or (laughs) (laughs) so I, I have a, there's a habit that she saw that I would have in a certain moment where I would get a a chicken head when I would just start, (laughs) I would start looking like I was pecking like a chicken and the way she puts it, I mean, she could very easily make you feel like really, really bad, but she doesn't. And she has this tact to where she'll say, I didn't like it. I hated it. I hated what you just did. But but she does it in such a way where you know that she wants to see something better and she and it it's very unique and I just I love working with her. You had the chicken head and I had the puppy face. Aw, <laughs> chicken head and puppy face. Oh, no. That's your nicknames now. Yeah. Oh, no. That's, that's what I'm gonna say for Wonderful. Me chicken Wonderful. head and puppy face. Yeah. So uh, it's a humbling experience. <laughs> That's good, though. When you work mm-hmm. with different directors and you get different ideas, different um, habits from the directors themselves, you know, it always gives you something uh, more to take with you to, into the next show. Now, you're both doing uh, more shows this year, correct? Yes. What are you doing next? Next, I have uh, All My Sons out at the Modern Coeur d'Alene, uh, directed by Jad Davis. Excellent. Yeah. And that is next spring yeah that would be i believe it opens end of january and runs through first few weeks of february gotcha 
And I'm doing the workshop for Doug Dawson's project, It'll Come to You. So that'll be a workshop in January. So I get to do a little musical theater stuff in that regard. Yay, musical theater! Yay! I'm loving branching out there. And then I will be in the, a show in the spring called The Ladies Foursome, which is also directed by Don. So Oh, how fun. I know. I'll get to work with her again. And that one's about golf? That, that one's about, yes, golf. Yes, golf. it's about golf. And there's <laughs> four women on stage. <laughs> Who um, I think it's it's a light. There's comedy. There's banter. There's it's a little bit of like Sex in the City for the golf course. I think you wow. know different characters playing around, but it all centers around um, their common friend. Three women who play golf every week together, and then this fourth kind of mystery person um, that they met at their their late friend's funeral, and so they're going to do a round of golf in you know in memory of their collective friend. So these three old friends and this new person and how they how their conversations go on the golf course remembering old friends life men children wow yeah it's it'll be fun okay so golf on stage making it interesting and my four sons is that what you said all my sons, all my sons. dang so my four sons that was a tv tv show <laughs> all right yeah with the foot <laughs> okay so let's talk about um the talk back you had this last week with Temple Beth Shalom, yes? Yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yes. Okay, so how did that come about? And it was it was for other desert cities. So you had other desert cities. They came to see the show, and then there was a talk back afterwards. Yeah, I think it came about um, through, I think Heath set that up with them directly. She had a connection and had talked to them about the show, and then they had requested a talk back um, as part of that, you know, what, what was the connection between your show and Temple Beth Shalom? The connection is that the the Wyeths, um, the Wyeth name is not a Jewish name, um, but Silda Grauman is the two sisters that are in the show, uh, Jewish girls from Texas, and the they they moved to California, became writers together, um, but one of them married a non-Jewish man. He was in the movies. That's uh, the character of Lyman, and left her Jewish heritage in in the past, kind of moved on and had this more country club lifestyle and really changed fundamentally in how she conducted herself, how she raised her children, lost a lot of those traditions. And at the same time in this backstory of these characters, Silda's character started drinking, started, you know, um, falling down that path of addiction. And so the their roots as being Jewish girls and how um, how their stories carry out and in losing their heritage, that assimilation into kind of standard American culture, how that affected them individually and how it affected their kids too. Um, so it was a really interesting conversation with Temple Beth Shalom. The takeaway might have been that it's a bit of a cautionary tale for their group. There was one of the participants in the talkback that was sharing how Temple Beth Shalom, as just a, a community center where life and community is lived out, almost like a country club, kind of. It was an interesting parallel to, um, to that. But 
where they have um, an annual conference that they send their kids to and, and how excited her son was to go and see all of these other Jewish kids because they really feel like they're kind of one in the masses a lot of times, especially in, in, in maybe a, a bigger high school here in Spokane than to go see 1,500 other Jewish kids and, and get to know. But they were talking about how they have all of these different events in their children's lives to really instill this sense of identity and Jewish identity in them and how um, that can center them as human beings, how it can make them feel safe in their family, safe in their community, have direction for their life. And for our characters as Brooke and Tripp, um, we, especially Brooke, she really struggles with a sense of identity. She really struggles with knowing who she is. And the story revolves a lot about covering up what actually happened in the past and the secrets that the family keeps and not having a shared story um, for the family. So it was interesting to to and nice to hear them talk about the way that they live out their cultural heritage um, and their Jewish heritage and how the Wyeths don't and and what that comparison looks like and um, what we can learn from that. Wow. Well, that will be... I, I think it's so great that they caught in on that and that you got to be a part of that and have that talk back because it's not often that people can sit down and watch a show and say, okay, this came from this heritage and the fact that we've got two shows running right now, which are under the Reagan administration. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, we've got rock of ages that happened during Reagan administration and this one. So just, just for you, how, um, I think it would be such an awesome experience to be a part of something like that to take with you into your everyday life, right? At night, you're actors and daytime, you have regular day jobs, correct? So, Standing from the point of an actor who's on stage uh, four nights a week or five nights a week, how for you to be a part of uh, the talk back last night and hear what they had to say, what does it do for you in your everyday life? Not your actor life, but your everyday life. Does that make sense? Oh, now you're thinking about it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ha I have asked a great question. It was a curveball. Ah, thank <laughs> you. Damn it, Abby. <laughs> I always look at things from a point of view of, as a person who gets to do so many different creative things, to me, to be a part of something like that talk back would touch my core. Because I don't have that kind of tradition. I have traditions in my life. I give my children um, specific ways of being and opportunities for them to look at the world. But to have that kind of tradition and to see, to be in a show where it directly removes that tradition. I think it's fantastic that they had that conversation to give you that insight. So that insight, how do you take it with you into your everyday life? What does it make a difference for you as a non-actor and as an actor? I mean, there's there's all kinds of, of deep recesses that it could go into. Isn't it funny how we feel way more comfortable being completely vulnerable and transparent under the guise of a character on stage? And then you ask us a really personal question like that. And we're like, ah, that's really <laughs> uncomfortable and vulnerable, Abby. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, Good. <laughs> but um, but for, for me, I think, you know, I do have a religious tradition. You know, I, I go to church on Sunday. I have a, a community of 
people who have a faith that I participate in routine things with, but um, but not necessarily to that extent. And it was really heartwarming, I guess, to hear about uh, their traditions and and also the idea of family. So in this context, there's a lot of drama going on in this family, and we were all kind of asking the question, like, why would Brooke even come home and see her parents? Why would she even ask permission to publish this book? And in the in my family heritage, um, not to say that we're not close with each other, but it's not that sense of family where if if you completely walked away, uh, you would be isolated uh, completely. You know. Um, and I was always raised with this idea of your friends can become your family. You can make family. Uh, and I think that that is true, and I still hold that dear. But it kind of challenged me a little bit where it's like this group is working so hard to make sure that their family of origin stays together, stays safe, stays strong. And no matter how much they would want to turn their back on that, they still show up for Christmas Eve. They still show up. I don't know if I was in Brooke's shoes, if I would do that. I would probably just stay back in the East Coast and, you know, write a passive aggressive email. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and but I don't want to be that kind of person. That's not the kind of person I want to be. And and I am have learned through um, my own family story and my relationships, especially with my my real life younger brother, um, how you can't just separate yourself from family. You can't just not care. You can go numb for a while, mm -hmm. but there is something that is incredibly powerful and central as the family in our lives. And sometimes we can't fix the family, but we have to just come to peace with them. Um, but the way that we were talking about the Wyeths and especially with this group from Temple Beth Shalom really made me reflect on that and, and how beautiful family can be. Awesome. That's a great way to put it. All right, Billy. <laughs> you know, oh. I, I should have went first because I'm not going to be able to follow that. <laughs> what what I when I go home when I leave the theater and I go home to my wife and my my two boys, um, whatever character it is that I'm playing, um, whether it's a guy like Treat who's extremely dark and troubled, or this this more you know, friendly, fun-loving character. I go home, I look at my boys, and it's what I want to to be able to express to them is that you, you can do whatever you want with your life. Don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to believe in something, um, whether it be a, a certain type of religion. You know, the one thing that we've told our son, our boys is, you know, you treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, it's that golden rule, I guess, we all learn when we're really little. Um, but the one thing I want them to see is, you know, um, it doesn't matter what anyone else believes. And if you disagree with that, you still treat them with the same amount of respect and dignity that, that you would expect them in return. So, you know, um, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, <laughs> but when I was listening to these, uh, the people from Temple Beth Shalom talk yesterday, it was interesting to see the things in the show that they liked and that they not necessarily didn't like, but that they disagreed with. Having been on stage uh, with this particular show, 
very intense and both of your last shows being fairly intense in different ways, <laughs> both physical, mental, uh, emotionally speaking. In your everyday lives, how do you prepare yourself for these particular characters? So, Sarah, what do you do during the day? I work for a financial advising firm. I'm the compliance officer. <laughs> okay. So, how do you... <laughs> Why do you laugh? It sounds, it sounds massively important and way more uh, heady than the stuff that I do. <laughs> so how do you prepare yourself for Brooke? For Brooke? Um, well, you know, as a character in general, I did a lot of research and study on her before we started rehearsal to kind of take off my mindset and put on her worldview. And um, that was research from a historical standpoint. She was raised more in the 60s, 70s, whereas I was actually raised in the 80s, 90s. Um, so to get the cultural references there, to get the political references there, I did research on um, the history of counseling, depression, treatment for mental illness, and how that has changed dramatically from the 60s all the way up to present day. How um, it might have felt for her to be following an ambassador of the Republican Party around, especially dealing with this own kind of internal trauma that nobody would talk about. Um, so there was just a great amount of research that I had to do and in preparation for her, her as a character. And then I have to live her, and that's a whole different transition. That's kind of the actor's question of, you know, how do you do your warm-up? How do you get into your headspace? How do you mm -hmm. do your cool-down kind of stuff? But I don't know if that's quite what you're asking. Well, yes, because I, I assume that all of that uh, research, <clears throat> excuse me, all of that research adds to what you do for your warm-up and your headspace and everything when you get here. Because you have, what, three days off before you get back into your show. Correct. So you have that time to cool down yeah. or forget. And then you have to push yourself back into that character again before you get back up on stage. Does it take you a lot of time? Are you pretty s solid with it? I don't know that I actually put it down completely. Gotcha. I'm always looking for another kind of um, way that Brooke is a metaphor for something that I've seen in my real life or in someone else's real life. So as I'm scrolling through a Facebook feed or as I'm watching the news or something, I think on, um, was it on Friday? <laughs> This, if this isn't right, but I think it was on Friday when there was the um, shooting in Oregon. Yeah. And for me, I'm watching the news thinking this is someone's worst day of their life, you know, and that is something that needs to be hold with a held with a reverence, you know, and a thoughtfulness. And how do I then just continue through my work day and go do a play. Um, but for Brooke, this is, you know, she had a worst day of her life too. And, I try and think of it as, um, you know, we all are humans with very complex and very heavy stories and very light stories too. But um, if we, if I can tell the truth through Brooke on stage, for whoever is out there in the audience on that day, I hope that it translates well. That we're kind of meeting each other in this human space and human experience for a moment, um, because I feel like that's kind of what theater is about. So every day there's kind of a different motivation for what carries me through my arc for Brooke. There's a different thing that at the end weighs on my heart. The story always carries it, but the meaning of that story and how heavy that sits in my gut can change depending on what I've done through the day or what I've experienced through the day that reminds me of Brooke and 
and what her story means for all of us. That's really like out there and heady. And I'm, I'm totally a nerd and a dork. I know. Like a lot of people are like, my biggest comment and critique sometimes from Donna is like, you're kind of overthinking it. Like just get on stage. <laughs> like she, she's always very respectful of what I'm going through and how I process. But I, I overthink things a lot, so please don't use me by any means as a standard for... Well, I think it's prep. important, though, to see how different actors and actresses work. I think yeah. it's because I do my work completely different from what you do. Mm-hmm. You're really deep. <laughs> I'm not necessarily that deep when I get into my stuff, but it, I think it makes a difference because everybody's got a different uh, way of working. Right. Completely different way of working. Okay, so Billy, uh, how do you prepare yourself for trip. Wait, trip, tri- tri- trip, trip. Oh. <laughs> See, it's hard. <laughs> That's funny because, okay. How do you prepare yourself for trip? Trip, trip. So, you know, and, and this is something that uh, I haven't told the cast that I, this is something I do intentionally um, before every show is um, part of my getting ready to go out as trip is I, I, I seek each one of them out and spend a little time with them. You know, Wes and I share the, the dressing room. And so just being around Wes is like being around my dad, being around Lyman. And so it's like, it, it helps me just the banter we have back and forth. Same with, you know, Sarah and Diana and even Marianne, you know, but the three of them, Wes, Sarah, and uh, Diana, I, I seek them out, and I just spend a couple minutes with them. So this, I'm ruining, like, I didn't tell them that this is what I do, but <laughs> that's what I do. I seek them out we, and just talk with them, you know, as we're getting ready. And that just being near them helps me kind of get into the Lyman household and what I need to do. I know it's a little weird, but it's, it's I don't no, think I don't think it's weird. It's at not all. weird, and I actually kind of do it too. <laughs> Because for so much of what like Brooke, Brooke is carrying around is that like deep angst, heavy stuff, but half the show is just our family having banter and being together and being that like light-hearted family time. Mm-hmm. So the whole ten minutes leading up to the top of the show, I'm like, I just need to go be with my family and like remember what it's like to be with them and you know be cool, Brooke, be cool. So- <laughs> See, even sitting and having conversation, the way that you guys interact is very sibling-like. It's it's a lot of fun to sit back here and watch it. It's incredible, though, if you think about you have your actual families Mm -hmm. and then you have your theater families. And it happens every single time you're in a show. It's it's not unique as far as every show having a family. But by the time you get to the end of a show, you've created such a bond with each other. Even if you're the whole show, you actually have a family on stage. Or if you're just a bunch of characters that are not related, but it's still a family. And by the end of the show, you can't help but be in touch with these people the rest of your life, right? Um, But it's fun to watch the the interaction with you guys. <laughs> so I have a question. Uh, apparently Trip has a Denver Broncos tattoo that shows all the time. Now, is that something for Trip or is that something for Billy? That is something for Billy. And why do you have a Denver Broncos tattoo? Be- Even my 11-year-old doesn't like the Denver Broncos, and I don't understand why, because it's sports ball. And he actually was saying it the other day. We're driving down the street, and he goes, oh, the Denver Broncos, nobody likes them. Uh, yeah, my 11-year-old. I didn't even know he knew anything about sports ball. So so tell me. So the tattoo yes. what is mine. It's Billy's. It's, it's not Tripp's. Okay. Um, we did try covering it up. Didn't work. <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, 
got makeup all over the the, the couches and the furniture. <laughs> so I, dang it, trip. I, I've I've been a Bronco fan since I was a little boy. Uh, when growing up, my mom's side of the family they were Bronco fans, and so being around that um, that madness, that hysteria for a team, I, I loved it, and it's just stuck with me ever since. It's just it's like it's a family connection, you know. So. Um, so growing up, uh, they were my team. We moved up here, and I didn't think anything of it, but this is Seahawk country, and at the time, the Broncos and the Seahawks were rivals, and I would get picked on on the playground oh. because I liked the Broncos. It was a it was a crime to be a Bronco fan in this area. I can't believe that. So when Don said, uh, "Come up, you need to come up with justification for why Trip would have a Bronco tattoo because she hates it." <laughs> and so, Wes Wes Dietrich actually came up with a really good excuse. You know, the Lymans are living in Los you know Los Angeles, P- Palm Springs, and and Los Angeles doesn't have a team, doesn't have a football team. So, and Trip being the probably avid traveler that he is maybe pick Denver, <laughs> you know? So it was, we presented it to Dawn. She, she, eh, she doesn't care. <laughs> she does. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a, a bunch of people have commented on it, especially people that, I, that I know who've come seen the show, you know, but hopefully it's not too much of a distraction. Oh, I, I wouldn't think that it was. I mean, tattoos are tattoos as they are. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. it's just so interesting. <laughs> I didn't know whether it was Trip or Treat or Billy. <laughs> Who got the Denver Broncos tattoo? <laughs> okay, tell me um, your hardest moment in rehearsal. And then I'm going to ask also your favorite moment on stage this rehearsal yeah this rehearsal process for this particular show what was your hardest moment in rehearsal for okay for me the hardest moment well i'm going to say moments because the way the way don works and the way that trips character the way okay <laughs> delete that the way trip is presented is there's this there's this wave there's these there's these sl- little highs little lows but there's never any big explosions there's never really any low moments and so the challenge for me has been finding those moments and keeping them real um are you looking for a particular moment? No, just specific moment for you. You know, where you discover as an actor, okay, that's difficult. I'm going to have to work on that myself and take it home with me and sit with it. The moments of anger. Because he's not an angry guy. The but he he does get fed up with his sister. He does get fed up with his parents. Um Maintaining that passion that I have, uh, Trip is a successful reality show producer in Los Angeles, and he's got a really he's got a hit show that's having a lot of success. And so he's very passionate about what he does. His family kind of makes fun of it, you know, they don't really take it too serious, but he's still passionate about it. As far as the situation that's going on with Brooke and her book, and what what's going on with the parents. 
he's 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 passionate about his sister he's passionate about his parents he has his own passion for me it's just maintaining that level and not coming across as angry gotcha okay sarah hardest moment hardest moment in In the rehearsal. rehearsal you know i was talking about all of the heady research that i do and we came to a point in rehearsal where Don, as an excellent director, says, you need to stop thinking now. This is where you need to turn off your brain. You've done the research. You've done the work. Now you just have to trust yourself as an artist that as you get on stage, you know Brooke, be Brooke, connect with your fellow actors, and this thing will carry you through. This creative process will carry you through, and you don't have to map it out. I wish I could say that was early on in the rehearsal process. Like, that was like opening night. <laughs> yeah, you know, it really was. And um, because we had we had taken that Thursday night off, and we had changed some of the blocking um, on Wednesday, and so we came Friday, and it was kind of it was a good show, but it it was. It was kind of a, almost a preview for me because we had enough changes that we were going to implement in front of a real audience that I was really in my head. It felt, and we had this talk afterwards, and she's like, now you've got it. Now let it go. And it was the best piece of advice, not just from a director standpoint, not just from the show, but as a teacher, which is what Dawn is really at heart. She's mm-hmm. a teacher. As a teacher to an actor, this is what you now need to learn from this production is Fantastic. to turn the head off, let the heart let the body just do what it needs to and go. That's great advice for every single person on stage. Yeah. You're always worried about what people think. Am I doing it right? Did they get what I'm doing? Yeah. When really all there is to do is just go, mm-hmm. go, go. Um, so one more question. Favorite moment on stage during the show? I love finding this stuff out. Because you know you always have those moments where you're like, oh, I can't wait to get to this part so I can just do it. And then when it's done, you're like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Or good. I screwed it up. Now I got to wait until tomorrow night. So favorite moment on stage. Okay. My favorite. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> my Most of my dialogue is with Sarah. Mm-hmm. You know, my favorite moment. And this is, I think you're going to know this for the first time too. My favorite moment is, uh, is with Sarah on stage. And it's a moment where uh, we are sitting there relaxing. I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> and... Trip starts to reveal some things that she doesn't really know about him. And there's a line in particular. Should I say the line? Okay. There's a line in particular where it is the absolute worst nightmare for a man to reveal to anyone, let alone a woman, let alone his sister. Mm. And the way she reacts to it. I, that's my favorite moment. I absolutely love it. Cool. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Ah, good, good. We don't want to give away no, too much. Okay. People need to come and see it. There's only one weekend left. Favorite moment on stage, Sarah? This is going to be the cheesiest thing. I think every show, <laughs> I've had a different favorite moment. I really have. There's been moments with you where it just felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like we are brother and sister and we are really in a living room. We have this like where we're talking about our parents, this moment where we're kind of like, just, I don't know, sitting on the couch making fun of our parents. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels so familial in that, you know, that's been my favorite moment. My I love this moment at the end with Wes. Um, I can't give that away, but like where I feel just so safe and relieved um, 
And I, I love that. There's a final moment when the at the end of, of Act 2, just the scene 2, right before the very, very end, where the lights kind of go down. But in a moment as actors and characters were all on stage in this moment that is so powerful, even if I can't see them physically, I feel them. And that's fantastic. So there's been little exchanges with, with every single character. Silda is so great in her speech with to Brooke, where she sits there and talks about Brooke, you need, you have courage. You need to write this book. And I get to just sit there and watch this woman work. And I have the best seat in the house, you know, like I just get to watch her do this mom monologue the the fighting that I get to do with um Diana Trotter and and the intensity that comes with that I cannot pick a favorite (laughs) I cannot pick a favorite they're all so precious and so this just popped into my head and I don't know why I didn't think of it before but the the one of the other moments that I really enjoyed that I can talk about and give you know is when Marianne's character first comes on stage and you get to meet who this woman is. She's in this, what is it, a gown, a dress? What is that? I don't know what a it's mumu. called. A mumu. <laughs> she comes out. A caftan. Out. So she, she has this interaction with me. She sits down. She takes her medication, and she starts telling a joke. I get to sit there and literally just smile and just adore her, which is... That's me. I, I, I'm just sitting there just like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. I get to sit here. I have no dialogue. I just get to sit and watch and smile and watch how her and Diana are just that friction that's Well, and it's there. fun, too, because Marianne was your director for <laughs> Orphans yeah. for seven months. So you have a unique relationship with her, too. Yeah? yeah. That's how great, how great that you get to enjoy those moments every night. Thank you so much for being our guest today on the Modcast, Sarah Miller and Billy Holquist in other desert cities running through the end of this weekend. Is Sunday your last day then? Sunday's the last day, the 11th, and two you, o'clock. At 2 o'clock. You can get your tickets at themoderntheater.org. And uh, I hope you all come and see it. Thank you so much for being on the Modcast today. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Modcast, the podcast from the Modern Theater. My name is Abby Crawford. You can find out more information about us on any of our social media mediums. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of those you can find more information. Or you can visit us at themoderntheater.org or our blog at themodernnews.org.